0: Galatians chapter two. We will be in verses eleven through twenty-one this morning. And in your seatback Bibles, this is on page one one five four. The book of Galatians is. Uh, please stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word, out of reverence for the one who speaks to us now through his word. This is Galatians two, eleven through twenty-one. This is God's Word. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Well, so far the reading of God's word. Please pray with me. Father, as our Savior prayed for us, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Show us Christ and his grace in this passage. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, transform us by that grace into people who know you and follow you more and more every day. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. My family has a game they like to play at my expense, and it goes something like this. Maybe I've told you this before. Uh, I'll be headed out the door, and inevitably I forget something. Uh, Sometimes I'm just two paces from the door, I think, oh, man, OK, here we go. I turn around. I put my key back in the lock. And from the other side of the door, I can hear them giggling and saying, Daddy's coming back in three, two, one. It actually happened this morning with the, the, the works of the law stool. I thought, oh, man, I forgot my works of the law stool. And Sophie was already saying it as I walked through the door. Uh, you'd think I would learn my lesson, uh, if for no other reason than to avoid the embarrassment. Um, They'll play the little game until I get it, of that much I'm sure of. Uh, But you know, I think this really illustrates something that all of us do with the gospel. Uh, We come to church, we hear the law that convicts us of sin, we hear the gospel that assures us of God's favor, and then we're ready to go out and from the freedom the gospel has given us, we're ready to go and love God and love our neighbor. And then we walk through these doors, get in our cars, drive home, and we forget the gospel again. And because grace is still grace to those who forget it, God smiles, and he says about each of us, he's coming back in 3, 2, 1. And then we get the gospel again, and we go back out, and we forget it again, and we come back again, and three, two, one 1 is on repeat in our lives. Uh, Martin Luther made this observation in his comments on Galatians. He said, I must listen to the gospel, which teaches me not what I ought to do, For that is the proper office of the law. But what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, namely that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel wills me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. That's how important it is to not forget the gospel. And in our passage today, we get a ringside seat to Paul beating the gospel into someone's head, into Peter's head, no less. And as we see this, we're reminded that it's one thing to know the gospel, and it's another thing to remember it and to walk according to it in the day-to-day Peter's problem, and I think we'll see that it's our problem too, is that rather than walking according to the gospel, in order to protect appearances, Peter decides not to walk according to the gospel. Instead of doing that, he decides to save face and to mask the freedom that he has because of the gospel. But stepping away from the gospel, even to save face and to protect your reputation, is a dangerous thing to do. So I want to look at three important truths that we learn in this passage uh, about saving face, this idea of saving face rather than being saved by grace. Three important truths about saving face. First, saving face leaves you vulnerable to masking gospel freedom. Let's look at that together. Saving face leaves you vulnerable to masking gospel freedom. So let's take a look at how fear of man and a desire to save face or to protect your reputation, how all of this leaves you vulnerable uh, to covering up or obscuring the freedom that you have in the gospel. Uh, what we see in this passage is this, again, Peter confronting, confronted by Paul, this apostolic confrontation in Antioch. And it's a really unfortunate situation that didn't need to happen. Let me explain why. Uh, just before this unfortunate series of events, uh, we've learned that There's agreement between the apostles, between those in Jerusalem and Paul about the message of grace. Uh, It's not a grace and message at all. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, that both Jewish and Gentile sinners are made right with God. The right hand of fellowship has been extended uh, from those in Jerusalem to Paul and Barnabas to go and preach this message upon which everyone agrees. But then something really unfortunate happens, and it can happen to the best of us. It happened to Peter, after all. Calvin notes, if this might happen to Peter, how much more easily may it happen to us if we are not duly careful? So what happened? What happened? Well, Cephas, or Kephas, his name in Greek, Peter, uh, he's come up from Antioch, uh, to Antioch, from Jerusalem. So he's come to visit, and he's enjoying fellowship uh, with Gentile Christians. They're eating together, and they're just enjoying themselves together, Uh, Being a bit of a foodie myself, I wondered this week if as Peter is traveling to Antioch, he's starting to daydream about the delicious delicacies that he's going to eat with the Gentile Christians there. Mmm, BLTs, pigs in a blanket, bacon for breakfast, right? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I wonder, I mean, how could he not? After all, Peter knows that he has this gospel freedom. He knows that he can do this. Uh, The old barriers between clean and unclean. Uh, this distinction not just between plates of food but people according to old covenant law it's been done away with now Uh, listen and remember uh, what we read in acts 10 9 and following about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city peter went up to the roof to pray he became hungry and wanted something to eat and while the meal was being prepared he fell into a trance and he saw heaven open And something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals. as pigs in a blanket. As well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. And then Peter encounters messengers from a Roman centurion, a Roman military official, Cornelius. And long story short, it becomes clear to Peter that these distinctions are no longer in view under the new covenant. It's been done away with. Peter would tell his critics in Acts 11, after the gospel comes to these Gentiles, uh, he's being criticized for eating with these Gentile believers who have just received the message of grace. And Peter says in Acts 11:18, 18, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter is on his way to Antioch. And all daydreams of bacon aside, he arrives and he enjoys rich fellowship with the non-Jewish believers of Galatia in Antioch. Then the circumcision party arrives. Not that kind of party. No, these guys are no fun at parties at all. Um, They're certainly no fun at parties with Gentile Christians. We read they came from James, and it's really uncertain if they were messengers from James the Apostle in Jerusalem or merely associated with James. Uh, Some have supposed that maybe they're like the overzealous fans of a famous teacher who always seem to be more over the top in their views uh, than even their teacher is. Uh, They were certainly over the top, but it's not spelled out to us who exactly they were, or why they came, or even whether they said anything at all to Peter about what he was doing. Let's not read between the lines too much, because we don't need to. Uh, Paul points out, he spells out what it is that Peter was doing, why he did what he did. He said he was afraid of these men. Look at verse 12. He was afraid of them. Why was he afraid of them? We kind of have to glean the answer from what he does. Paul says, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. He was afraid of them, and that fear caused him to separate from his brothers and sisters in Christ, from the Gentiles. You see, he knows he's free not only to eat the BLTs, but to actually fellowship with these fellow believers in Jesus. He knows he has that freedom. That division has been torn down, as Paul will say in a moment. But he fears these Jewish Christians. There have been a lot of attempts really made to rescue Peter uh, from this. Uh, It seems like all-out failure, and people try to do a little bit of a rescue um, to his reputation, but I'm not sure his past supports it. Uh, Peter's faith often faltered when pressured by his surroundings. Most famously, we remember how he told Jesus, I will never deny you. Remember that? And then what happens? By the end of the evening when Jesus is on trial, he's swearing like a sailor that he never knew the man. I never knew him. His faith falters when pressured with the power of other people's opinions. So he fears this group from James, and his faltering faith leads him to put on a mask. Uh, Paul says it was hypocrisy. It's a term from the Greek theater. Putting on a mask and playing a part. Peter knows that he has gospel freedom to be with these believers in Antioch, to eat with them, to fellowship with them. But he's worried about saving face with these Jews that have come down from Jerusalem. So he masks his gospel freedom. Let's pause there and ask a question. What are some ways that we're tempted today uh, to save face? How does our faith sometimes falter when pressured with the power of other people's opinion? I think we can think of three ways we do this. First, sometimes we try to save face by masking our Christian liberty in matters of opinion. The list of things that the Bible says, uh, the, the list of things that the Bible doesn't prohibit, but Christians say you can't do, is as long as you're armed. Often when Christians try and apply biblical principles, we then turn that application into additional laws uh, that define who's in and who's out in our minds. I won't go too far afield from the text and start to unpack all of the ins and outs of Christian liberty on all the different topics Uh, But there's a temptation we all face, and it's when people say, if you really love Jesus, you're going to X, Y, or Z, or you're not going to X, Y, or Z. If you really love Jesus, you're going to spend an hour a day reading your Bible. Well, that would be news to anyone who lived before 1800. If you really love Jesus, you're going to give up dancing and going to frivolous things like movies. The Puritans used to say frivolous things like plays. No square dances anymore, HPC. I know there were some of those in our history. Or if you really love Jesus, you're not going to dedicate all of your free time. Uh, You're going to dedicate all of your free time to this or that cause or this or that ministry. Never mind you're a mom of four who has little to no margin for any of that at this time in your life. It's usually more subtle than that in our circles. I don't know anyone that overtly makes, you know, a schooling choice or this or that, you know, an article of the faith, but uh, we can call it a vibe that can creep into a Christian community and a church those barely visible but not indistinct lines that we draw that say this person is in and this person is out. And as we navigate a vibe like that, like Peter, we're often tempted to mask our gospel freedom that we have in Christ in order to save face. You don't want people to think less of you, especially if it's the men from James you're trying to impress. And so you give up salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, uh, not man's opinions, and you embark on your own little salvation quest called saving face, because you don't want anyone—the worst thing in the world to you would be that someone would think less of you. So it's this self-salvation quest called saving face. I'm reminded of the time Bob Jones uh, Sr. of Bob Jones University met C.S. Lewis. You can hardly imagine two different kinds of Christians. You have Jones, who's an American fundamentalist evangelical, Lewis, a British Anglican. of the church of england jones was a fiery preacher who warned against the social sins of drinking and dancing things like that and lewis was known for saying things like i didn't go to religion to make me happy i always knew a bottle of port would do that (laughs) and upon meeting lewis it said that jones left baffled he was so confused he said that man smokes a pipe and that man drinks liquor but i do believe he's a christian now of course sometimes out of love for others love for the brother and sister still growing and their gospel-informed conscience. Uh, We exercise restraint instead of freedom on any number of issues and opinions out of love. On the other hand, there's a difference between a weaker conscience and a finger-wagging Christian. The weaker brother and sister uh, attempted to violate their own conscience. That's one thing. But the finger-wagger wants, you to, wants to lock your conscience up under their own self-imposed laws and rules, their own legalistic opinion. And this sermon is about that, the finger-wagger, because that seems to have been the problem in Antioch. How dare you? Why are you sitting with these Gentiles and partaking of Gentile fellowship? Peter's separation from the Gentiles, it wasn't serving the purpose of love, it was obscuring gospel freedom. And that's dangerous to our faith. It's dangerous, and it's dangerous to the faith of others, as we're going to see. Now, this example of Jones and Lewis, it leads us to another way. We're tempted to mask our gospel freedom, and that's when we're tempted to save face by masking our Christian unity in matters of doctrine. By masking our Christian unity in matters of doctrine. Jones and Lewis could hardly have been from more different corners of the kingdom. Very different Christian traditions. I know that many of you come from a variety of different Christian backgrounds. Let me tell you this. Doctrine matters. Of course it matters. But not every doctrinal difference is a DEFCON 1 scenario. Maybe someone is thinking, I don't think the Presbyterians got the memo. <laughs> Listen, uh, I used to travel a lot in Cuba. I often served and worshipped in contexts that were very different than my PCA context back home. Sometimes people dressed differently in worship. Sometimes they sang differently in worship. Sometimes they administered the Lord's table differently than I would in worship. And sometimes, often in fact, they believed differently than I did on a number of different topics. Maybe they had different views on charismatic gifts than I do. Maybe different views on baptism than I do. Maybe different views on the last days And if I had been afraid of what some keyboard warrior on the internet might say about fellowshipping with these fellow Christians who were just different than we are, and instead saying, why would you do that? You can only get together with Christians who believe like you and act like you and worship like you and talk like you. I don't think I would have any friends in Cuba, and I don't think we would have made any difference in Cuba for the gospel, especially in places that really needed a dose of grace. In our own church, at Heritage, we have people with different views on things. To take one example, some of our members believe differently uh, on baptism than you might, or I might. Should we baptize believers only, or believers and their children too? And even within that difference of opinion, we've taken a vow to love one another in Jesus. Why? We welcome one another in the name of Jesus to belong because we believe the door is as wide as the gospel to church membership. As wide as the gospel of salvation in the name of the triune God. Our differences don't Detract from that. It doesn't mean as your pastor I'm not going to do my best to convince you on this or that thing, uh, but there's freedom in Christ to believe differently on a number of different things. But if you're concerned, like Peter, to save face by downplaying or even hiding or being scared to talk about your convictions about something, that's obscuring gospel freedom because you're a free Christian. You're free in Jesus to enjoy the richness of fellowship with one another, despite some of our differences, because the gospel is the power to save, not the Westminster standards. Let me give you one more. And this one is maybe the most important of all, but the hardest to overcome. We're tempted to save face by masking our Christian maturity in matters of sanctification. Masking our Christian maturity in matters of sanctification. Holiness matters. Of course it does. We're called by by the gospel to be imitators of God. Paul says it in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. But why? So that we can move from HPC coach to HPC first class? No. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Just like I told the children earlier, we're all on the same footing here, no matter where we're at in our Christian maturity. It's not incidentally that the next line in Ephesians 5 is walk in love walk in love. Love and patience are fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. What kind of beautiful place might this church become and be if that love and patience is extended to one another in all of our immaturity so that we don't have to pretend to be better than we are becoming hypocrites, masking our freedom in the gospel. What if instead we made it a rule to freely lean on one another for help and encouragement toward the goal, knowing that part of gospel freedom is knowing that grace alone really is true, and faith alone really is enough. I'll give you a personal example. Uh, Earlier this year, I was having a really hard time sleeping. I have sleep apnea, so I assumed it was my CPAP machine. And I hardly slept one Saturday night, so it made for a really rough Sunday. And I told some people that's what I thought it was. Later, I came to understand that I was really not trusting the Lord in some situations that I needed to trust him in. Uh, not finding my hope in him rather than in other people's opinions. And it was stressing me out. So I talked with my shepherding elder about it. I talked with some brothers uh, in the presbytery about it. And it really helped me. They were very encouraging. And then just last week, someone asked me, hey, did you get that CPAP machine fixed? And for a a split second, I thought, what do I say? I don't want to lie, but I also don't want to look pathetic. Have you ever had that split second moment of truth when it comes to Christian maturity? That's what I'm talking about here. Don't fall for it. It's a trap. I told the person who asked me, yeah, I figured out it wasn't that. I was really just stressed out about some things and I kind of felt dumb saying it, but the person understood and it was so freeing. That's what this is all about. Not masking our Christian maturity and matters of sanctification, but bearing one another up in love. And in order to do that, we have to have some level of trust with one another where we can talk about these things and believe that grace alone really is enough. So summing it up, Peter's faith faltered when he was pressured with the power of other people's opinions, and ours does too. We have to remember that not every Christian looks alike. Not every Christian draws the same implications from the call to live wisely as we might. Not every Christian worships and believes exactly the same way we do. Not every Christian is as far along in their pursuit of holiness and Christian maturity as we are. It's never a uniform trajectory straight up anyway. And when the this is the way it's got to be party comes from Jerusalem and pressures us into saving face by downplaying and obscuring our gospel freedom, we've done damage to the message of the gospel. And we've embarked in our own little missions to save ourselves through not looking bad in front of others. So how are we doing? Are we wearing any masks yet? I hate to say it, but it gets worse before it gets better. So Let's look at the second point. This will be a little more brief. We've seen that saving face leaves us vulnerable to masking our gospel freedom, but there's a second thing, uh, more briefly, but certainly not less important, and it's this. Saving face leads others to mask or misunderstand gospel freedom. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. This is where it gets even worse, besides the fact that our own little mission to save ourselves through saving face uh, saps the joy out of walking in freedom before God and with one another, uh, there's an additional danger. Because few, if any, of the decisions we make and the actions that we do are personal, merely personal. Uh, What you do will affect others. Not only will your self-salvation, saving face impulse uh, do damage to your confidence in Jesus, it will lead others astray too. Stepping away from the gospel to save face, rather than, as Paul says, to walk in step with the gospel, uh, it will lead others away from gospel freedom too. So Peter slips away from fellowship, and then Barnabas slips away, and then the rest of the Jewish believers slip away. You can imagine what's happened to the unity and the love in Antioch. It's this domino effect of damage done in this Christian community, all because Peter fears the circumcision party. What the late Anglican preacher Dick Lucas calls the pressure group that's come to Antioch. Matthew Henry puts it this way in his whole Bible commentary He says, Here note the great force of bad examples, especially the examples of great men and good men, such as are in reputation for wisdom and honor. This is a reminder to pastors and to elders. uh, When out of fear of this group or that, this is the way it's gotta be group, uh, when they show up with a gospel and approach uh, to the faith, and you mask your gospel freedom to save faith, it has a ripple effect. It has a ripple effect that can be disastrous. That goes for grandparents and parents, older siblings and Sunday school teachers, anyone who has an influence on anyone else, uh, which is just about everyone in this room. Not only will our own hypocrisy uh, in this vein create a lot of should-know-better should hypocrites like Peter, uh, it's going to also prevent some people from ever understanding the saving message of the gospel in the first place. Because gospel and, the kind of gospel and message that we in our hypocrisy convey, convey to the unbeliever, is no gospel at all. I read an article the other day, maybe you remember this toy when you were a kid, about sea monkeys and invisible goldfish. Anyone under 30 might be saying, Come again? <laughs> Um, I think I got some from my grandparents one time. Sea monkeys and invisible goldfish. The sea monkeys weren't sea monkeys at all. Uh, They're these little brine shrimp and you add eggs uh, to the water and they hatch. And I was pretty disappointed because they look nothing like the sea monkeys on the packaging. And I'll let you imagine how big of a scam invisible goldfish were. (laughs) But when you mask your gospel freedom, what you portray to the world uh, this gospel and message, it's a scam. It isn't the gospel at all. It ceases to be the gospel. All, all that fear-motivated hypocrisy results in an impoverished message that's no gospel at all, that can't save anyone. So what do we do? It's time for some good news now. As we see how Paul pivots now, and we're going to be pivoting now to the main body of Galatians, Galatians, uh, his rebuke of Peter sort of trails into these opening remarks in the rest of the letter. And we see how the gospel unites all sinners by faith to Jesus for forgiveness and grace. Uh, We'll see there's even hope for hypocrites who get out of step with the gospel. So third and finally, uh, we've seen that saving faith leaves you vulnerable to masking your gospel freedom. Saving faith leads others to mask or misunderstand gospel freedom. Finally, saving faith loses its power when by faith, You're secure in Jesus for gospel freedom. What does Paul say? But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. We've seen why. But listen now. Paul goes on. Look at verse 14 and following. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? I like how my friend Adriel Sanchez puts it. He says, the gospel is for Peter, for the Galatians, and for me and you, strugglers like us. We get muddled. We struggle to stay in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul rebukes Peter and the Galatians to restore them to the unity God has created through Christ. God says, I accept you, I love you, I receive you into my family. Because of Jesus, I welcome you. You, my enemy, to my table. That's the good news of the gospel, that Peter's life was calling into question, and it's the good news that Paul reminded him of by getting in his face. Let me trace out Paul's argument here for you. Paul says, Peter, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. You're free. You saw the vision of the pigs in a blanket. You've had your BLTs, and you love all the Gentile brothers in Antioch. How then, by removing yourself from fellowship with the Gentile believers, can you for- force them into thinking uh, that following your example, they should become like Jews themselves? See, Paul is appealing to the gospel freedom that Peter has. And he's been masking this out of fear. Paul goes on. Uh, he says that adopting the old way of talking, uh, so Paul, he's going to use the old way of talking about things. He's going to say Jews and then Gentile sinners. And he's going to show how everyone is in the same boat. He says, Peter, We ourselves are Jews by birth. Uh, Paul could have added, and incidentally, my resume as a Jew by birth is far better than your resume. We're Jews and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Full stop. That's what it takes. And because of that, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And in case you're still missing something, Brother Peter, let me say it again. You probably notice he repeats this over and over. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, it's, it is remarkable, really, just how disastrous uh, Peter's actions were. Peter, by bringing in the old way of relating to God, uh, into bringing that into the Christian message uh, through his actions, the old ways where the Jewish people would enter the inner court of the temple to worship and the Gentiles were in the outer court. By doing this, he was upending God's plan to build his final day temple of Jew and Gentile brought together into one new man in Christ. Because the gospel has freed the Jewish people from trying to fulfill God's law. It frees them from their their sins against the law, which they knew because it was given to them. It frees the Gentile from their sins against the law, which they know by nature. And it opens the door for all people to partake of the promises in Jesus Christ. The law can't save it never could it was intended to drive jew and gentile to the gospel in jesus and peter is driving a wedge in this through his actions ephesians 2 11 and following say says remember that at one time you gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel so making peace. So going back to Paul confronting Peter, Paul says next, Peter, who cares what the Judaizers Judaizers are saying about you and me and anyone else? Yes, we've broken the ceremonial law by our association with these dear, beloved Gentile children of God. Ah, but that's the point. That's all come to its end because Jesus has come. Jesus has come and that's over. It doesn't implicate Christ as a sinner. No, going back to the old ways is the sin. Jesus isn't putting the walls back up. He's torn them down. So what's the answer then for us? How we've blown it, how we've masked gospel freedom, how we've distorted the gospel? Well, in the context of everything we've seen this morning, this is the answer for hypocrites like us who shake in our boots and think that if someone doesn't like it and doesn't uh, appreciate our freedom in the gospel, then it will be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. It's like Tyndale said, the law and the gospel are two keys. The law is the key that shuts all men under condemnation. And the gospel is the key which opens the door and lets them out. Here's the gospel key, which Paul will end this with. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Christian, saving faith loses its power when by faith you are secure in Jesus for gospel freedom. By faith in Christ, this life that you're living where you're insecure and you're vulnerable to the pressures others put on you and sometimes you contradict yourself even and you're striving toward God but you're constantly pulled in all of these directions. Know this, Jesus gave himself for that and now the life that you live, you live in and because of Jesus. So all of those competing temptations and struggles are overcome as you do one thing and one thing only. They're overcome as you fix your faith on Jesus. Secure by faith in Jesus for gospel freedom. Living by faith in him alone. His grace alone, no gospel ends, And living any other way than by faith alone in Jesus alone. And from that gospel freedom, gratefully living the life of love, anything aside from that, communicates to the world, as Paul says, that the cross was pointless. And nothing could be further from the truth. Let's pray together. Father, you know that we are weak. We're so easily spooked by the pressures of other people's opinions, so much so that we mask our gospel freedom or stop believing we ever had it in the first place. Set us free from fear through faith that lives looking to Jesus, who lived for us and in whom we live. Give us your grace and forgive our sins because of Jesus. Amen.